0: We are, again, in our Incarnation series, the Word became flesh in Jesus so that the Word can become flesh in us. I'm going to move that back a little bit, otherwise I'm going to trip on it. Um, as I was thinking about this message this week, I was thinking about um, kind of the, the nature of being alive, which I know that's a really wide category, um, but I was thinking about how I learned about myself and the, the, my shortcomings and my strengths, like my weaknesses and my strengths. And uh, I realized a long time ago uh, that I could never work in sales. You ever have that moment where you just like suddenly realize something about yourself and you're like, this defines me. You know, some people thrive in certain environments and for a while you just think, well, I'm just not good enough at it. And then you realize, no, I have no interest in even, even getting good at that. Like I could never work in sales. Um, you know, I talk with, with Ken about, you know, working at the car dealership and he f- seems like a guy that could sell you a car. Um, right? You, that you would not want to, I would not be the guy to sell you a car. And it's, it's interesting because I wrestled with that at first as a pastor because a lot of like the successful pastors, uh, kind of have that, that, that polished car salesman or salesman, like, you know what I mean? Like, they have that presentation that makes everybody feel like they're receiving like they're just anyways that was not me I was always the awkward even right now I'm like the awkward guy right um, and I figured this out when I was in college and I was working my first real job as a carpet cleaner and my boss who had hired me to go into office buildings after they close at night and just scrub carpet when nobody was there uh, suddenly started sending me into people's homes and wanted me to sell them upgrades on the the carpet cleaning packages so they they called to get their their, their living room carpet cleaned and he's like well you should see if they want their furniture cleaned and guard added and all these types of things. I'm like I don't want to be a sales guy. And uh, so I realized that that was not my, gi- not my gig. I was not a sales guy. Um, however on the flip side right now across the country really um, there are pastors who have in their possession a clergy planning book like a a planner, a paper planner, you know, calendar, planner, goal-making thing, they have in their possession this planner book because I convinced them that this was the best tool they have. So years ago, I was trying to figure out how to manage my schedule as a pastor and how how to stay on top of things and make sure my goals were all met and all of that, and I found this clergy planner book that, it's not perfect, but it's closest to perfect that I could find. And so I tell everybody about it. Anytime I talk to pastors or they, like, So, I mean, Pastor Hannah has one right now. I've made her a convert. So I'm not into sales, but I will tell you if I found something I really, really like. Um, The board and ministry leaders of this church can tell you um, that I'm a big fan of Planning Center. Um, I'm not a salesman, but I have convinced them, maybe, I don't know, that this is a, uh, and Planning Center is a church church. Utilization, like a database um, software to help us manage some of the areas, kind of behind the scenes administrative stuff of the church. Um, and so, again, I'm not a salesman, but I found something that I really like, and so I tell people about it um, and kind of get people pulled into that circle to the best of my ability. When I find something good, I want them to experience it too. It's a terrible segue to go into our scripture today, but that's what you get. Um, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. it It'll be a familiar text if you've been around uh, the church for, uh, for a while. It's one that you've heard before. I'm sure you've probably heard dozens of sermons preached on this. Um, but We're going to revisit it again today, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. It'll be on the screens. Uh, follow along in your Bibles or devices or whatever as well. Um, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When they had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch." For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. Uh, Pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, Wondrous Spirit, gather our minds that they may be one with you. Open our ears so that we may hear your word. Soften our hearts that they may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen. Before we jump into what does this scripture about the fishermen have to do with us today, we need to kind of set a little bit of context to understand what's going on kind of behind the scenes here with Jesus and these fishermen. Uh, In the time of Jesus, uh, when kids were little, they would start learning uh, the scriptures. Little boys and girls would learn the Old Testament scriptures. The Pentateuch start with, you know, first five books of the Old Testament. They would learn those and they'd start memorizing them. At some point, the the girls would be removed from the formal education and they'd go home and work with mom. Um, they would learn what mom did in the house, what mom did you know, with the family. They, just girls, their education would stop at a young age and they would go and work with mom. Uh, the boys would continue on for a few years more and they would learn more of the scriptures, more of the Torah. But then there comes a, a, another point where... Uh, if you weren't doing so well in that if you weren't excelling if you weren't the straight-A student if you weren't the top of the class you'd go home your education would end at that point you knew the scriptures you knew the teachings you'd go home and you start working with dad and you'd learn his trade or his his business his activity whatever it was you'd go home and you you'd learn from dad and a remnant would remain and continue this formal education and then a few years would go by, and if you were the top of that group, like the top 1% of your class, like you were the Victorian, a rabbi might come by, their teacher or, or whatever, a leader in the synagogue might come by and say, I want you to be my disciple. I want you to follow me. Not to sit in the classroom and learn to know what I know, but to follow me as I walk from place to place and, and encounter people and learn to do the things that I do. It's an apprenticeship. It's an internship. You're going to learn to become like the rabbi. The goal is not to know what the rabbi knew, but it was to do what the rabbi did. All right, and so if you weren't this disciple, if you weren't this rabbi, at some point somebody came to you or your family and said, you're not quite cut out for this education stuff. You're not quite good enough to be the religious elite in this day. At some point you heard the conversation, go home and get a job and get to work and so when Jesus encounters these fishermen obviously at some point in their lives they had been told that they didn't have what it takes to be a disciple they weren't re- religious elite enough they didn't come from the right family they didn't have the, the mental ability to memorize the, the scriptures or, or whatever they just weren't cut out to be a disciple or to become a rabbi themselves someday. Not many were, so it's not a a harsh criticism, but when Jesus comes to him, comes to these fishermen and say, come, follow me, you will be my disciples, he's saying something to them that they thought they would never hear. They received an invitation from Jesus that they thought they would never ever get. A rabbi came to me and said, follow me. You see how Jesus, even from day one, was starting to kind of turn the religious world upside down. He wasn't kind of following the rules already from day one. And Jesus goes and he calls fishermen, he calls Andrew, Peter, James, and John, he calls a tax collector. Now, tax collectors, uh, they were people that lived in the Jewish communities but worked for the Roman Empire, the Roman government. Their job was to ex- extract wealth out of these neighborhoods, to extract wealth out of these villages, to, to take money from fishermen, for se, and get it into the hands of the empire. And they would take a cut along the way. They were viewed as traitorous, treasonous, against God's people. And Jesus called Matthew, uh, who was known as Levi and Luke, um, but he called a tax collector to be a disciple. Jesus called a zealot, Simon the Zealot, now, a zealot is like an a underground terrorist type. He was a guy that was against the Roman government. He was against the empires that ruled Israel, and so the zealots would kind of work together to disrupt an attack. Sometimes it was violent attacks with weapons. Sometimes it was just disruption in the community or disruption of official functions. But it was somebody that, like, it was more than just a protester. It was violent it would be classified as as maybe terrorism today and jesus calls simon the zealot to be his disciple jesus then calls judas who the gospel of john says judas is a liar and a thief that's really the only description we get we don't know what his background was um, without speculating too much but jesus calls judas and we know how that turns out and then he calls some random people that, like, we never learn what their background was. People like Philip, Bartholomew, Nathaniel, Thomas, uh, Thaddeus, Jude, right? He calls these people that, they're just everyday, ordinary young men. And he says, you will be my disciples. Why would Jesus call these guys to follow him? Like, why these guys? And, and, and not only as individuals, like, uh, again, that's a great question. Like, why would he call Judas? Why would he call... Uh, a a tax collector why would he call fishermen like they don't qualify to be disciples they're not good enough like why would he call them as individuals but more importantly the question i want to ask today is why would he call them together and think that this could work why would he put this these weird mix of people together in one group i mean fishermen and tax collectors the fishermen are out here working hard trying to make money. They're, they're getting squeezed out by the Roman Empire who's taking over fishing uh, industries, pushing out mom-and-pop-owned fishing operations and, and, and converting them into operations of the empire. So you've got these fishermen that are just trying to make a living. And tax collectors who are trying to extract money from these fishermen to work for the government. And Jesus said, yeah, we're going to be in the same team. He puts them together. He takes tax collectors and zealots and put them together. Now this is match meat gunpowder, right? Like the people that are violently trying to overthrow the Roman government through subversive means with the people that have turned against their own people to work for the Roman government. And Jesus says, yeah, we're going to put these two people together in a group. Or Judas and everybody else. Like it just I mean, the inclusion of Judas in this group is, is boggling to the mind at times. So why would he not only call individuals that weren't good enough, but why would he call this group of individuals that obviously could not work together? Like, these are not people that are hanging out together. It's not an affinity group. They, they don't have the same hobbies, the same view of life. They're so radically different. And Jesus said, yeah, you're all going to come together and be my disciples. Why would he do that? Well, for one reason, he wanted to demonstrate that the gospel was for Everyone and not the religious elite, right? The gospel was for everyone, not the religious elite. Now, when we say gospel, if you've been around the church or grew up in Christian culture, the gospel gets used as like this blanket statement. It gets used in a lot of different ways. Um, Sometimes the gospel is presented as a formula. You take a verse out of here, a verse out of here, a verse out of here, and you take those three steps, and that's the gospel or something. But when the Bible talks about the gospel, it's talking about... The announcement that Jesus is king And that Jesus is making the world new That the world is going to be shaped by the authority of King Jesus That, that he is king and ruler And that the, that the things that he controls are going to be how he wants them to be And that's good news because the way of Jesus The way that he's shaping the world Is the way that God wanted the world to be from the beginning right? So that's what's so great about the gospel Jesus is Lord of all, Jesus is king, he's ruler of everything, and he is at work shaping things to be how he wants them to be. And so he demonstrates through this calling of strange combination of people that the the gospel is for everyone. If the gospel was only for the priests that work in the temple, if the gospel of Jesus was only for those people that were pure and clean all the time, if the gospel was only for those that were the top 1% of their class, then it wasn't a very powerful gospel. Then the world would remain exactly the same. There'd be more outsiders than insiders. So that's one reason. He wanted to demonstrate just how far-reaching that even tax collectors could be invited to live under the authority of Jesus. But he also wanted to demonstrate the depth of salvation and redemption. Because if this group can get along... If this group of all people can live together, can consider each other brothers in Christ, if they can love each other, die for each other, sacrifice for one another, then the gospel's power is super far-reaching. He put this group of people together to be a witness. I mean, it's easy to get along when everybody thinks and does the exact same thing you do. So he's put this group together to demonstrate the depth of salvation and how strong... Reconciliation and redemption can be. He put this group together to demonstrate that the call on Israel and the covenant with God was for everyone. The tax collector, especially somebody who's turned his back on the chosen people of God, was included. When Jesus rises and is exalted as king of all, he has room for a tax collector in there. It's not just for the, the people of God, the people of Israel to be included, but it's a broader thing. It's an invitation to more people than just that. And so what we see happening after the life of Jesus, you know, Peter preaches a sermon uh, in Acts, and thousands pledge their allegiance to King Jesus and are baptized, right? This message reaches people everywhere. The, the traditions uh, talk about the disciples that, that went and went on missionary journeys in the early days and took the gospel into foreign lands and people came to pledge their allegiance to king jesus they they came to announce their citizenship in the kingdom of god people that had never stepped foot in the temple people that had never met a high priest who had never sacrificed on an altar who who maybe didn't even know the ten commandments but they received the invitation to come They preached and proclaimed the gospel everywhere, and they invited people not only to believe things about Jesus, but to live in community with other believers. They started churches all over the world with brothers and sisters in Jesus. Jesus, in the story we read a few moments ago, he he invited the fishermen to to follow him by, by stating, you would become fishers of men, fishers of people, and after following him, after being a disciple for a, a, a while, they cast a wide net with the gospel. You know, the, the gospel story is, is Jesus teaching and equipping these disciples and then setting them loose on the world. And they cast this wide net with the gospel. And, and they invited countless thousands to join them in following King Jesus. For the past 2,000 years church history, roughly 2,000 years old. Um, The church has embraced this call to fish for people. It is fundamental. Like I said, you've probably heard a dozen sermons on this passage of scripture about fishing for people, becoming fishers of men. The church has embraced this mission from the beginning. At times, and in specific communities, the church may have been better at this mission than others. Sometimes they went about it with with swords and armies and that's not really the way to go about it sometimes they went about it trying to use power and governments and all that stuff and that didn't quite work out so well either so at times in church history they may have worked better than others but at the core of the entire 2000 year church history was this idea that Jesus was calling followers to fish for people right this is a foundational thought to Christianity it's always been one that moves outward from itself Assumption has always been made that where the gospel is proclaimed, where the gospel is preached, there is an invitation to non-Christians to become part of the community of faith. This is fundamental to what we believe as Christians. It's an invitational faith. It's, it it's, has an open door. We invite people in. And as we think of that background, I want us to take a look at this slide on our screen. I don't know if you guys have ever seen... Th- uh, this slide before, or if you can see it, I'll, I'll, I'll explain a little bit at those in the back, which is everybody, because you all sit way far away. Um, on the uh, vertical axis, it starts at zero at the bottom and goes all the way up to 160 is the top number. And then across the bottom, uh, the horizontal axis starts in 2002, and it goes over to 2021. This is the weekly average attendance for Sunday morning worship at Battle Creek First Church over the last 20 years. That's our history of Sunday morning worship as a church over the last 20 years. And I'm not sharing this, before we go any further, I'm not sharing this, there's no condemnation, there's no shame, there's no guilt. This is not to say that we're a bad church. That's not why I'm sharing this. You're not going to get a message from me today saying that you're not good enough, you're not doing enough, and somebody needs to come along and, you know, Turn things around or something. That's not the point of this, and the point's not to even uh, present a doom and gloom message. I'm not trying to scare you this morning, but I do want us to see this is the 20-year worship history of Battle Creek First Church. In the year 2002, our Sunday morning average was 144 people. Uh, by 2008, it had dropped from 100 and what do I say, 44 down to 85. Uh, After 2008, there was a little bit of an uptick. You can see that kind of in the middle. Um, There's a couple things that account for that. Uh, Work of the Holy Spirit, for sure. Um, But I also pulled the same chart uh, from Hope Church in Nazarene, and uh, their chart kind of went the other way (laughs) at that same time period. So I think we picked up some folks from, from Hope Church around that time. Um, not that that's a good thing, not that it's a bad thing, it's just reality. Right? So that explained kind of the bump there. Um, actually, you know, some of our folks here today became members of uh, First Church during that, that time period there, and we're glad you did. Glad you're here. Um, but the trajectory after that little season kind of set back down the direction it was going before, maybe a little bit flatter. Um, Remember in 2002 it was 144, in 2019 it was 85, um, in 2020, which is a weird year, it was 80. But in 20 years it was a decrease of 44.44% uh, in Sunday morning worship attendance. And again, this isn't, this isn't report card time, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad, um, but at the same time that that's happening, we've moved on, it's fine. Um, I want you to know the population of Battle Creek. I did some, some Googling and some, some demographic studies. Population of Battle Creek is around 50,000 and that's been pretty static during that 20 year window. There's been some ups and downs, but it's right around 50,000. And according to one report, only 32% of Battle Creek residents identify as religious. They say that they're religious in their practices and commitments. It doesn't mean that they don't think of themselves as a religious person so much, like they didn't go to church or something, but like they don't think of themselves as religious in their practices. They're not regular church attenders or they don't have a commitment to a religious uh, organization or faith. So if you just do some quick math, 32% of 50,000, you're roughly 34,000 people not religious. 34,000 out of 50,000, not religious. Now, if you want to win some sort of culture war where you say, we Christians, we've got to win against the non-Christians. We've, we've got to defeat those, those 34,000 people are bad people and they're our enemies. It's not looking so good because we're outnumbered two to one if, you, if that's the mission, right? <laughs> we're starting in a hole if that's the goal. But if you want to share the gospel of Jesus with people who don't know Jesus... If, if you look at that 34,000 and say, maybe I'm supposed to be fishing for those people, right? If you want to fish for people like Jesus told his disciples to do, then there's a lot of proverbial fish in the sea. And if you look at that chart, again, I'm not trying to, to make us feel any particular way this morning, but if you look at that chart, you might get discouraged, Because the church has been active and hard at work during those 20 years. I'm not questioning our faithfulness. I'm not questioning our effort. I'm not questioning anything. I'm not criticizing or condemning anything that was done in the past. But you look at that chart and you go, man, what are we supposed to do? Like, we've been faithful tithers. We've been coming to Sunday school. We've been coming to worship. We've been been ministering to kids. We've been doing all these things for 20 years and still... 44% 44% decrease over 20 years. You might feel like Simon, who spoke to Jesus, this is when he said, Master, we worked hard all night, and this is what we ended up with. The, the nets are still empty. We worked hard all night. We've been doing the thing. The nets are still empty. But also like Simon, I'd like for our church to look at that, that chart and that graph and speak like Simon once again, where he says, But because you've told us to do this again, we will let our nets out one more time. The last fishing expedition came back and we didn't catch as many fish as we had hoped. The results weren't what we expected or wanted. But because Jesus, you're the one telling us to do this, we will do it again. Now I want you to know that as a pastor, I am not I do not get caught up in, in worship attendance numbers. Uh, very much at all. It's not even an indicator for... Like, uh, you know, David gets a count on Sunday mornings or other people gets a count when we have activities and they'll come up and say, hey, this is how many people we had. I said, okay, cool. Like, it, it, it's not even on my mind until they bring it up. And maybe that makes me a bad pastor or something. I don't know. But I'm not stressing about attendance numbers. That's not what this is about. When I When I find myself anxious or worried about... The church or Christianity it's not well there was less people in church on Sunday number-wise than the previous week the things that give me anxiety that stress me out as a pastor isn't isn't the attendance number that I have to report to the district it's an, it's the number of people that aren't experiencing the transformational ex- love of God right and if there was only 10 people in this worship service I would be preaching the same message I'm not trying to make this into a megachurch or something like that but several months ago I introduced what I called uh, a one plus one plus one as a definition of a disciple and I did that for the the purpose of trying to clarify some things basically the one plus one was to say a disciple is someone who participates in a weekly worship gathering A disciple is somebody who participates in a weekly uh, relational experience, a connect group, a Sunday school, a, a small group of some sort. And a disciple is somebody who serves others, whether in the church or in the community, whatever. Worship, connections, and service. That's what a disciple does. And that's oversimplified. I mean, it's not necessarily exactly how the Bible portrays it, but I think for our purposes, it's a good place to start. Over the past several Sundays, I've mentioned in the sermon about becoming a church or being a church that loves God, a church that loves others, and a church that serves the world by serving the community. And from, from now on, that's the language I'm going to use when it comes to the one plus one plus one thing. Um, The one plus one plus one is awkward, it's hard for me to say, it's clunky, people get confused by it, it's not a great message, like, it wouldn't work well in marketing, like, it's just not, it's not helpful. But I wanted to start with that because I wanted to clarify the ones were important. We don't expect you to be in 19 different Sunday school classes and small groups and prayer groups and everything. Like, if we're inviting somebody to be a disciple, you don't need to wear yourself into the ground trying to keep up with church activities. So that's why the ones were important at the time but today I'm, I'm starting to make official the transition from the one plus one plus one language to the idea of the people of first church we love God through our worship gatherings we gather today to, to, to worship God to love God to learn how to respond to God's love for us all the better the people of first church will, will we love others In Sunday school classes, connect groups, prayer meetings. And we serve the world by serving the church and serving the community. You could put, yeah. So this is going to be something you're going to see a lot. We're going to love God through worship. We're going to love others through connections, through relationships. And we're going to serve the world by serving the community and by serving in the church. And because we love God, we love others, and work to serve the world, we embrace God's mission for us, right? Because because of these things, we grab a hold of what God is calling us to be as a church, to make disciples, right? That's the mission, to fish for people, to cast out our nets for those who need Jesus. So if a disciple is someone who loves God through worship, if a disciple is someone who loves others in relationships, and uh, through groups and classes and all that, and, and a disciple is somebody that serves the world by serving the community, how does a church make disciples? Right? I mean, that's the command. Go and make disciples. How does a church make disciples? By inviting, teaching, equipping, and encouraging people to love God through worship, by teaching, equipping, and encouraging people to love others through relationships and connections, through fellowship, community, and to serve the world by serving in the church, the community, and around. So not only is the love God, love others, and serve the world how we are faithful disciples, like that's that's our scorecard, right? Am I worshiping God? Do I love God? Am I responding to the love of God in my life? Am I loving others? Am I connected in Christian fellowship and relationship? Am I doing that? And am I serving others? Like, that's the scorecard for me to check. But not only is it the, the scorecard for myself to say, how good am I doing in this discipleship thing, but it's how we make disciples of others. We invite them to love God through worship, we teach them to love one another through connections, through relationships shaped around jesus we teach them to serve the world by serving in the church and in the community and to make things even more clear and and hopefully even more simple simpler uh, this is the path or the process in which we as a church will work to help people become disciples you might notice on the screen that those those circles have arrows there's direction to them there's movement that's intentional And so while some people, I know, some people might find faith by serving others, some people might become a Christian because of a small group or a Sunday school class, I'm asking our our ministry leaders and our congregation to start thinking about weekly worship, the Sunday morning thing that we're doing right now, as the front door or the first step in helping people become disciples, right? Right? The first invitation that we, we're going to offer, the first thing that we're going to cast our nets to do is to invite people to love God through worship. Right? Inviting, teaching, equipping, and encouraging people to love God in worship. God loves you. Why don't you come and learn what it means to respond to that love? So for example, um, to get practical, uh, First Kids Learning Center. I would say that is our greatest mission field right now. As a church there are literally hundreds of people that show up on our property every week they come to us <laughs> churches pastors all over would would love to have that type of exposure and 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 outreach um, some families might want to join a small group or serve in the ministry and I, so you don't want to like exclude them from that but I've had some conversations with Cindy lately the director of the daycare and We've had a few conversations about how do we create a better invitation for these families to come and worship with us. Like, that's, that's the door we want to invite people through. It's like, how do we take people that are already on a part of First Church's life in a peripheral way, and how do we invite them to take their first step? This will be a huge priority for us, starting right now, I asked Cindy a few weeks back to, to survey the, the First Kids staff uh, to find out what the families of First Kids need, what they're looking for. So in my office I have a stack of papers of like feedback of like how can we minister to these families. And so for First Kids the, the step 1 of our next steps if you have your bulletin on the back there's the next steps thing the orange one at the top says visit You're searching for something. Come see how we can help you find what you are looking for. We love our church and think you'll love it too. We want to get really good at inviting people to come and love God, teaching them what it means to worship. Another example, and an appropriate one, is the worship team. When Hannah and I talk throughout the week, we aren't talking about styles of music very often or preferences We're talking about how our worship gathering is a time of relationship building with God. What is it that we want the the people that come through those doors and the people that uh, sign in online, what is it that we want them to know about God and how do we invite those people to respond? How do we help people learn to love God better? And not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. This is the conversations we have is like, I've I've used this this image in in conversations I've had with Hannah but also with, with other leaders that Sunday morning to me is a big rock. Imagine a pond with perfectly still water, you know, no ripples or anything. And there's just Sunday morning is this big stone and I chuck it into the middle of the pond as far as I could. It makes a big splash and then there's ripples that carry out across the whole pond. Sunday morning is the big stone thrown into the pond but Monday through Saturday I we want the ripples to carry out. If it wasn't so awkward and, and just weird, uh, I would have made Hannah's title pastor of loving God. Like that's what the core of it is. And this idea that that worship, Sunday morning worship, is teaching and equipping people to love God. It shapes how I write my sermons. It, it's starting to shape how I communicate with with other ministry team leaders about the theme or the goal of what we're doing each week. This mission of helping others to love God better provides direction and guidance. The world is full of all different options. As a a pastor, there's a ministry buffet of all the different things we can do on a Sunday morning. But helping people to hear about God's love for them and respond is what is driving what we're doing now. Another area in which... This loving God idea was going to kind of shape things. And I, I haven't spoken with, with Brenda about this specifically, so I hope I'm not crunching toes. But in the teens, this upcoming year, teens are going to have a bit of a transitional period. Um, many of the students are graduating from high school. And so the question becomes, how do we as a church invite and equip those who are graduating out of the teens ministry... How are we inviting them to love God through worship? Right? What is it that we as a church are doing to help them love God better? Not what program do we do to keep them busy, but how do we help them love God more? How do they worship God on a regular basis? But for those who who do remain, those who aren't graduating out, the smaller group, like, how do we equip them to worship? and love God more? What is our plan to help them worship, support them in their love of God? And then ultimately, a third question is, how do we invite and equip other teens, people that we may not even know yet, how do we invite, equip, and teach them to worship God? Again, if the idea that a disciple is, is fundamentally somebody who worships God, then we must, as a church, be making disciples means to be teaching people how to love God. Another area in the life of the church uh, that this will have its fingerprints on is children's ministry. I'm so grateful. We are so grateful as parents and leaders of the church. We're grateful for everybody who works with children on a weekly basis. Um, It's not an easy ministry. It's a little bit awkward. Many of the children that are here are children of staff or volunteers. And so it's a weird dynamic um, because it's not as structured as maybe if a parent just showed up at service and picked their kid up when they were done or something like that. So we are grateful and thankful for each and every one of you that, that minister to our children. But as a, as a children's ministry, I, I'd like for us to take this year to work to answer this question. How do we invite children to love God in worship? And of course, age-appropriate, I'm not expecting them to have like full-blown worship services like, like what we're doing here or something like that. But the, the question is, if we're making disciples of our children... How are we teaching them to love God how are we teaching them to respond to the love that God has poured out for them and that question should help us clarify how we make decisions moving forward in regards to activities and programs and events and curriculum and all that type of stuff like how do we help children not just attend church but become disciples Where during the routine of weekly activities where in our in our calendar uh, do we invite and equip children to worship one of the guiding principles for the, the leadership team, uh, board, and other ministry leaders, going all the way back to our 75th anniversary thing in the fall when I introduced the 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 thing, um, was one of the core principles is strengthen the core ministries of the church. Like this is the season that we are in in the life of this church is, is, is strengthening what's already here, reinforcing um, fine-tuning before we, we run out and, and do a lot of new things, let us strengthen what is already here. And so the first thing I'm asking our church to focus on is inviting and equipping others to love God through worship. What we do on Sunday morning right here is probably the most important thing we do in the life of the church. You believe that? The Sunday morning worship gathering where we, we get together and we worship and, and we, we hear a word and we pray for one another... And we, we give an offering. This is the most important thing in the life of the church. From there we will equip and invite people to love others through connecting with others in small groups, Sunday school classes. And then from those small groups, Sunday school classes we'll help people develop relationships with one another to build Christian fellowship and then ultimately help them and invite them to serve in Christian service but the first step is to invite the first step is to, to, to connect with people that aren't here already the mission that Jesus calls us to is too important to leave to chance or just ignore Right? we can't assume that if we do a bunch of church activities if we fill up our calendar with events that people will automatically sort themselves into the right places that people will, that non-Christians will just show up and know, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, maybe in, in years past, in decades past, the, the church had a stronger influence on the shape of culture. Maybe that was something that happened. People show up, oh, I, I know what Sunday school is, or I know what worship is. But the people that we're trying to reach now don't have that background. We can't assume that people will walk through the door knowing how to navigate church life. So let's put our time, our energy, and resources into inviting people to participate in this time of loving God on Sunday morning, of fishing for people. Let's not assume that they will get here by accident. Like, let's let's just get that out of the way. It's not going to happen without intentionality. And so one of the things we can do is pray for them whoever they are. It might be an individual that you know, a coworker, a neighbor, a family member. It might be a stranger. It might be a, a, a faceless name, you know, somebody that you've heard about. Or it might just be, I'm going to pray for somebody in the community that needs Jesus right now. But I'm going to invite you to pray. Pray for these people often. Uh, today, after we, we take communion, we're going to have the altars open. That's why I've removed some of these chairs around here to create more space up here. And so after you receive communion today, I'm going to invite those who who take it seriously uh, and want to commit to this to come and to pray for somebody. The idea is that communion is coming to the table and we have more chairs at the table that could be filled. So let's come and pray for those people. So that's one way that we can uh, be intentional to be on mission to make disciples. Another way is just to invite people. In the the backs of the chairs next to the offering envelopes and uh, connect cards, you should find uh, some version of these. Evie went around this morning and and put them all in there. They're what I'm calling invite cards. They're a little bit larger than business card sized. Uh, This one says, you're invited. And on the back it says, Sunday, 1045. And it's got a link to our our information uh, for Facebook and the address of the church. This one says, sit with me. If you're extroverted and want people closer to you that's one um, or what are you doing on sunday but the idea is for you to to have these and we're going to put them in the foyer on the the ministry wall out there and this is gonna be a regular tool that's available to you as you're out and about in life you're talking to people about what's going on you be like hey we're in this this sermon series so upcoming for the season of lent we're going to do a series on spiritual disciplines I've been talking with pastor will about partnering with hope church about this we're going to we're going to talk about spiritual discipline, practices, life-giving events in, in individuals' lives. And you might run into somebody like, man, I'm just, I'm caught up with busyness. And one of our disciplines is solitude and stillness, Sabbath. And somebody, hey man, we're going to have a sermon about, about this. We're going to have a, a, a talk, a, a, a time together, and, and look at what God wants for your life. Why don't you come with me on Sunday? Um, so that's what these invite cards are. They're not magic. There's nothing too special or, or um, crazy about them but they could be a tool to put in somebody's hands to say we want you to come the first step to becoming a disciple is to learn who God is the, uh, another thing we can do is to welcome them when when somebody is a, a visitor and comes through whether uh, maybe online or in person like let's go out of our way if somebody showed up at your house you'd be as hospitable as possible unless it's like you know the I don't know Somebody looking for money or something. I, a lot of different options. But anyway, if somebody came to your house and needed something, you would make them as welcome as possible. Um, so I said, welcome them. Another one is adopt them. Say that this is my this, these this family this, this these people that came through the door. These are my people now. Um, I am going to make sure that they feel like they are not alone here. Right? It's it's more than just hey, it's so good to have you here. But it's like hey, like. I'm going to navigate this with you. Pastor's up there, he's saying all this crazy stuff. Here's what it means. Or we saw, we've sung this song that said these words. Like, let me t- help you understand what that's about. Like, make it your personal mission to make them feel like they belong. And ultimately, the, the last thing uh, that's kind of in this list, pray for them, invite them, welcome them, adopt them. Understand and embrace the mission of the church. Right? Because what I'm doing today, and I hope you, you understand this, is I'm not trying to put this on you as an individual. The, the chart with the, the, the graph that goes down to, to the right is not a condemnation. It's not a judgment of saying you haven't been doing your job. Jesus said, go out in deep waters and let down your nets. Notice he didn't tell them to get their fishing poles with their hook in line. It's a large net that's being used to catch fish. It's not your job alone to make disciples. We do this together. This congregation is a net that God is using to fish for people. Because we love God, we love others, and we're called to serve. Let us invite and equip others to take their first step in faith. May we get used to saying, come, visit. Let us teach you how to love God in response to God's love for you. And so what I want us to do, the challenge for us today, and it's it's a a slide, if we could throw the next slide up there. uh, This is the challenge for us today. Jesus invites us to live in such a way that others are introduced to Jesus as well. I'm not asking you to start a program, to go knocking on doors, to stand on street corners with Bibles or signs. I'm not asking you to to leave tracks in bathrooms, at restaurants. But to live a life in such a way that other people meet Jesus as we live. As individuals and as the church. Now is the time. Let's put out our nets and fish for people. Jesus says, go cast them out in deep waters. Simon says, we've been doing that and it hasn't come up. But because you tell us, let's do it again. Now is the time. Let's fish for people.